Welcome to the Secure Edge Wi-Fi podcast. In today's episode, we have host Sky Jandu, customer success manager and enterprise sales executive, speaking with her colleague, VP of Engineering at Secure Edge Wi-Fi, Michael McNamee. We hope that you find today's conversation both helpful and informative. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome to the Secure Edge podcast. My name is Sky. I'm here today with our VP of Engineering, Michael McNamee. Good morning. Good morning. Today's episode is going to be revolving around keeping students safe, specifically as it relates to contact tracing. Before we dive in, let's talk about what's actually happening in the higher education space because of COVID-19. Right now, from what I've seen, uh, we are currently trying to figure out how to get students back to school safely. And number one, if they're actually coming back, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So from that perspective, what have you seen? It's all over the board. You know, I've got a niece that's going to her first year in college. They're planning on some virtual, some live in-person classes. They're spreading classes across multiple classrooms where maybe that class was just in a single auditorium or a single classroom, they're breaking them up into two and three classrooms so that they've got the ability to do social distancing. Some of her courses are going to be virtual, so she doesn't need to attend. To me, the tricky thing is the dormitory or the residence halls. How do they handle that? Because you've got all these kids in a very confined space. So they're doing things like, you know, sanitation stations. They're giving the kids masks. You know, they're teaching them or coaching them on protocols and stuff, you know. So it's it's all across the board. It's going to be interesting. I've seen the hybrid model. So a combination of online coursework and on-campus learning with social distancing measures. Mm-hmm. With the online presence, what I've heard is that some institutions are having their students stay in their dorms with their laptops, confined to their space, hopefully, mm-hmm. and taking their online classes online, of course, and then requiring them to attend at least one in-person class. So I don't know how the registration process works as far as getting students into class Mm -hmm. from that perspective, but I have seen that. And then one of the other things I've seen is that some schools or a lot of schools actually are trying to figure out what's happening with enrollment. So because of the pandemic, obviously, you know, safety is number one. So I know some students are, say, taking the semester off, for example, you know, maybe things just aren't safe enough, or maybe they have someone at home that's elderly or you know, maybe they're concerned for their own health. But I have seen that students in some cases are taking the semester off. So that comes, when we think about that, we think about finances for a university, right? So how are they going to make money this next semester? Yeah. I mean, how can they do that? I know that schools are putting some safety measures in place and trying to encourage students to come back on. Mm-hmm. So we'll talk a little bit more about that um, a little bit later. But You would think the virtual component, being able to attend a, a class online, you know, would help them keep that momentum. At least for me, when I was going to school and I decided to take some time off, <laughs> it was kind of a snowball, you know, situation. Right. Um, you know, that that one year turned into seven. <laughs> <laughs> I got involved in other things, you know, and, and that's made me who I am today. But, you know, just for other for other students, I would think if the school is providing some sort of virtual, you know, online component, Maybe they don't go back full time, but maybe they take three credits or six credits or whatever it is, you Mm -hmm. know, still keep that momentum going, still stay engaged with the university. Um, And then when they all clear, you know, then they go back to their their normal regimen. Right. So one of the questions I would have is a traditionally on campus institution that now has to consider 
an online presence is now competing with schools that have been online for a very long time. Mm -hmm. So as a freshman going to school, you know, you go to school for various reasons. One, for quality of education, right? There's something that you're looking to do and you want to be a master at it. Mm -hmm. But then the other component of that is a social aspect, right? So you want to make friendships, join clubs. There's a whole student experience factor. So now that we're in a pandemic, it's like, okay, well, how do you have a student experience when we're virtual? I guess I wonder how institutions today, public, private, all across the United States are actually handling the student experience portion of getting students back to school, especially for first-year students. I think after the first semester, first-year students generally say, yeah, this is for me. No, this is not for me. Hmm. So I wonder how that's going to affect enrollment, you know, the following semester, for example. Like, I wonder how your niece is going to feel about school this year. (laughs) I think, you know, for her, she was so excited about going to school. So hell or high water, going to swear on these. (laughs) (laughs) Hell or high water, she was going to go. Still taking into, you know, concern or, or, you know, uh, thought safety first, Mm -hmm. right? And as long as the school was addressing those things, she, she was good to go. Others may be more timid, but I would think a school that, you know, has returning sophomore, junior, seniors or whatever are going to be more apt to be able to keep them engaged some way, shape or manner. Mm-hmm. Some freshmen will put it off. Maybe we'll do some online, but I think keeping them engaged and having some familiarity, you know, a sophomore, a junior, a senior is going to have familiar with the, the staff, the curriculum, mm-hmm. the university, you know, the system itself. Uh, so they're going to be more apt to, to re-enroll, whether it's physically on site, you know, on campus or uh, virtually online. Right, right. I don't envy them and their, their challenge. Yeah, I remember when I was in school, which wasn't really that long ago, yeah. you know, parties were fun. Like, sure. what are they going to do without their parties? What's going to happen? Yeah. They'll probably still have them anyways, <laughs> in some oh, cases. Right. Yeah, look, at, look at spring break. Look at the beaches. Yeah, you know, that's so at, true. Look at the nightclubs. That's so true. So one of the other things I was thinking about was what's going to happen with international students? For those who have gone home, mm-hmm. you know, if they are taking online classes, there's obviously a time zone issue. Mm-hmm. So that might be challenging. Also, too, I guess students that are international that are still here. I've seen in some cases that they're able to stay in the dorms, for example, and take their online courses until the semester starts back up. Yeah, we had a couple of customers had international students stay this whole summer mm-hmm. in the dorms. Right. Residence halls. Yeah. So I wonder how their experience is affected by this as well, especially those who've had to go home and they're still paying for school or they still want to be enrolled in school. Mm -hmm. You know, some places are six hours ahead, eight hours ahead and even more than that. So that would be interesting to understand. And then in some other cases, I've also seen that students, because of the financial costs associated with school, either, you know, if they're not taking the semester off, they're enrolling in community college instead. Mm -hmm. So I've seen that happen as well as an effect of the pandemic that's happening right now. Just a couple of things that are happening that we've seen from our perspective and the higher education space um, as it relates to COVID-19. So what can we do to help ensure students' safety on campus today? One of the things we wanted to talk about specifically was or is contact tracing. Mm-hmm. So what we need to do is really understand what contact tracing is. So could you help us understand layman's terms and technical terms, but for the audience, can you help us understand exactly what contact tracing is? So Webster's Dictionary defines contact (laughs) tracing. 
So I, I think we all have kind of a, an idea, a general semblance of an idea of what contact tracing is. And it's it's tracking or tracing proximity between people, somebody that's potentially or, or is infected, positive for the virus, and who they've come into contact with or where they've been in facilities, buildings, campuses, with whatever. And so from the infrastructure side, from the, the, the networking side, the things that we provide on the technology, specifically Wi-Fi, you're carrying around a laptop, you're carrying around a phone, you have a tablet. Those things are on your person. So we have a method to find you, track you, trace you, where you've been through campus. And then also using some of the telemetry information, give us some idea of who you've been in proximity to. Because all the studies, all the research that I've read points back to the infections being relayed through confined space and duration. I think the last things that I heard was there was a threshold of about a 10 to 15 minute period of time in a small confined space that they were tracking the infection back to, right? So if if you can get some idea of where somebody's been, who they've been in contact with, how long they've been there, what's their dwell time in that area, now you can start pulling together some data to say, this person that tested positive came into contact with these people in these places. We need to contact these people and have them go get tested, potentially quarantine them, right? So now you're you're acting on and, and preventing, you know, further spread. And then your facilities can look at those areas that they've been, you know, dwelling in. Okay. So basically contact tracing is really a way to track people. Um, and by their devices. By their devices. Yeah. And specifically, the reason that we're doing that is to track infected users. So essentially, if I'm a student, would I have to report to you know the staff that I've been infected in order yeah, for I all mean, that the, to work? The, okay. the system can't identify somebody that's you know infected. That's not a component of it. They would have to notify whoever at, at the organization or the, or the school that they have tested positive for COVID-19. I know some of our customers have already set up like a quarantine wards. They've separated buildings aside that once somebody has been tested and, and deemed positive, they're going to put them into these areas to pull them away from the rest of the, the campus. So they'd have to notify. Okay. So as a student or as a faculty staff that's on campus, I would have to do my due dil- diligence to say, hey, mm-hmm. I've been infected. Mm-hmm. So I wonder how that how that would work if I'm a student and I was infected, but I didn't notify you for two weeks. So the data is historical. Mm-hmm. So you can go back in time and look at this 14-day period or this 21-day period. Where has this person been? And who have they come into contact with? Who have they been in proximity to? So, yeah, you can just pull historical data. In that scenario, you could go back two weeks, mm-hmm. find those individuals I was close to, yeah. and notify them accordingly. But then it would become a case of if you know they did happen to be infected, who else did they come in contact with, which you could actually trace through mm-hmm. this particular solution. Yeah. Okay. So how does this work? Like, what options are there if I'm a college campus or if I'm a university that's looking to incorporate contact tracing tools onto mm-hmm. my campus? Where do I start? So the infrastructure that we put in, manufacturers that we work, support the solution. Specifically, one of our manufacturers has built it to be a low cost or no cost solution. So they're using the the Wi-Fi infrastructure, the APs that are in the ceilings throughout campus, throughout your buildings and facilities, and the telemetry that's provided by those access points. So those access points will actually triangulate off of each other and provide some approximate distances between themselves. 
And then based on the client devices, your laptop, your phone, your tablet, they can also approximate where you are using that triangulation. So if you're within the triangle, they know you're 10 meters or you're 15 meters from a specific spot. And then the other users that are in proximity to you, they can use that same telemetry to figure out where you are in proximity to the others. So the infrastructure provides that data historically over time, tracks the, the devices by the user. So Sky you know, connects to the Wi-Fi, authenticates as Sky. We know Sky has been with these devices throughout the campus over a period of time. There has to be a management or monitoring application. So there's a, there's a couple of software components there, the management and monitoring systems that collect all that data and hold it historically. And then the manufacturer is providing a module free of charge that you can take all that data, export it. You can manipulate it how you want with either like a BI tool or some sort of um, analytics reporting or, or manipulation tool. Or they have their own engine where you can simply say, I want to know where Sky's been the last 14 days, who she's been in proximity to, what her dwell time has been. You know, I want to see any location she's been in more than, let's say, 15 minutes. And so it'll spit out a report. And now you've got some actionable data that you can start notifying people and start enacting some protocols to contain or prevent, you know, further spread. Okay, got it. Essentially, what we would need on the front end is some sort of device registration system. At minimum, we have to know that this laptop is associated to you. Right. You know, if if it just says, you know, my laptop or it's a MAC address or an IP address that's, you know, fairly generic and anonymous, it's going to be really hard unless there's some sort of database that the organization holds that correlates. Mm-hmm. Like some organizations do MAC authentication. They have a registration process where the device is onboarded. The MAC address is captured from the Wi-Fi adapter on the device. They know that that Wi-Fi adapter is associated with Sky. Sky registered it. And so they can just go into that database and query who owns this MAC address. It's Sky. Okay, these are all her devices. And then we're going to trace her throughout the campus for the past 14 days. So at a minimum, yeah, you have to have some correlation between that device and and who the owner is. Okay. So there's a device registration component. There's Mm -hmm. an infrastructure layer. Mm -hmm. Which um, is the Wi-Fi. Right, which... Mm -hmm. It's really important to your point to make sure you have the right triangulation in place. And then there's a management portion of that so that HR departments or whomever the university deems uh, necessary can actually pull those reports for privacy reasons. Yeah, exactly. So there is a privacy component there where, you know, you're going to restrict access to that information to those who are responsible for it or need, you know. A need to know basis. Right. It's not a public available interface. Okay. So I guess the universities that are concerned with privacy, because uh, I have heard that out in the field. Oh, sure. I suppose that they could send out a notice to the school and to its um, to its students as well, just mm-hmm. to say that this is what they're implementing and this is how it's going to work. And mm-hmm. these are the only people that will have access for your privacy kind of thing. So yeah. like a privacy notice. Yeah. And so the protocol that, I, that we've heard voiced back to us and some of the ones that are proof of concepting this or triangling this is Sky tested positive. She notified whoever she needed to notify on campus. They traced your whereabouts, your your activity over the past 14 days. They identified who you were in proximity to and, and had dwell time of more than, you know, 10 or 15 minutes with. They then reach out to them and ask them, hey, or inform them that they've been in proximity to somebody who tested positive. We encourage you or recommend or, you know, I don't know if they're actually doing on-campus clinics where they can do their own testing. I haven't heard that yet, but they're going to ask them to go get tested. And, but they're not telling them they've been in 
contact with Sky. They're just saying you've been in potential contact with somebody who tested positive. As a preventive measure, this is what we would like you to do or we're asking you to do. Got it. Yeah. Okay. So the privacy still stays, you know, there. Okay, so in that scenario, I would say that if someone does implement the contact tracing capabilities on campus, it would make sense to also have uh, a building set aside for quarantine purposes just yeah. to be able to keep everyone safe and yep. and on site still. Because I guess you don't know anybody's situation at home. Maybe exactly. they're on campus for the semester and that's where they need to be. So a quarantine area would be a really good idea. Yeah, and okay. that's what we've heard from most of our higher ed customers is that they've set aside someplace on campus, you know specifically for that. Okay. So what if I'm a university and perhaps I don't have the right infrastructure? How can I still utilize a contact tracing solution in that case? It's going to be tough. You know, if the manufacturer of the infrastructure hasn't come up and there's there's not many of them, we're just fortunate to be working with a manufacturer who had the foresight. They didn't build it for pandemic reasons. They built it for presence analytics, basically, and for other security needs and, and monitoring and management a long time ago. But because of what's needed for to enable contact tracing, they've been able to leverage what was already built and existing and just simply put together a module that collects all that data and allows it to be exported so that somebody can manipulate it themselves or they can generate the, the report through their own reporting engine, right? So unfortunately, if the infrastructure is not there that can facilitate this, there's not much what we can do. Um, but if you have worked with us in the past and you've got an, you know, a system that we've put in place, you're, you're good to go. And like I said, the manufacturers are providing it as low cost as, as possible mm -hmm. to no cost. So if you already have the components, they're giving you the reporting engine, the reporting module for free. Okay. Just for being a customer. Okay, that makes sense. So universities and colleges across the United States are obviously experiencing some type of financial burden because of the unknowns with enrollment. However, there has been advantages they could take advantage of, like mm -hmm. CARES Act, for example. I have seen many institutions apply for the grant, receive money, and apply some of that towards technology, which has been great. So, Well, you, you could look at it as it's an investment in, in calming the concerns of parents and students and faculty, right, to get them to come back to campus, to do the, the back to school, the safe return to campus in a, in a safe manner. And, you know, if you're already due for a refresh, you know, if your infrastructure, your, your technology is aged and you've been putting off, this might be a good time to really kind of fast forward the refresh. Right. Get you into a place where you can provide and, and enable these solutions. Okay. So if you have the correct infrastructure to support contact tracing, then the module from our standpoint, as far as what we use, is provided at low cost or no cost. Mm -hmm. The one thing that we would want to consider in that situation is doing some type of assessment, right? Just mm -hmm. to make sure that there's the right triangulation in place. Yeah. So you bring up another good point is, you know, how dense the, the Wi-Fi deployment is. So the triangulation is dependent on the APs having proximity to each other, being able to read distances based on signal levels, read distances from the client devices based on signal levels. If you have a very sparse <laughs> Wi-Fi deployment, your granularity of how close you can get in proximity measurement um, is going to be much different than if you have a very dense AP deployment. Most higher ed customers that, that we either deal with as a potential customer and bring them on as new or ones that we've had you know, for a long period of time, we've migrated them or they've been migrated to a more dense AP deployment. They might have an AP every other classroom. You know, they might have an AP you know, every three dorm rooms. So yeah, that, that plays a, 
a part in it. Okay. So in this particular scenario, I have the infrastructure in place. I need to have an assessment done so I can make sure I have the right triangulation. Mm -hmm. And then I need to make sure I implement the new products that need to be, Mm -hmm. I guess, onboarded into the school. So whether that be adding more access points and potentially more switching to support the access points as well, right? In that case, I need to make sure that I do that assessment to make sure I can actually take advantage of those capabilities. Yeah, because there's going to be a relation between the clients and the access points, you know, the density, the the ability to to measure proximities. The the telemetry data that gets collected by the APs about the clients reporting into a management application, right? That has to be configured, right? And that has to be collecting that, that correct data. And then there's an integration point between that, that management platform and the contact tracing module. And so there has to be a connector there for it to provide that data so that the reporting engine can produce those reports based on potential okay. or positive. Got infected. it. So there's some engineering time in there oh, too yeah. to get everything set up and yeah. running yeah. the way that it should be running. Yeah. But, Got it. But the pieces are there and, you know, it's fairly um, simple to, to, to tie them all together. Right. Yeah. So I would say that's more of the lower cost solution. Mm-hmm. I have the infrastructure in place. I just need to make sure I have the right things like triangulation and all that. So I might need an assessment. And then I also will probably need some help just getting everything set up correctly and utilize the modules that are there for mm-hmm. contact tracing purposes. So, mm-hmm. okay. So there's another scenario where perhaps my infrastructure is old and I'm ready for a refresh. So in that particular scenario, what we want to do is just make sure that we're focusing on infrastructure that can support these types of capabilities. So in that standpoint, there's a couple of options out there today. We want to make sure that if I'm a university and I want to make sure my students are safe and incorporate contact tracing on campus, that I'm looking into those options for the refresh and that through that process, all of these things would kind of come into place or fall into place, essentially. So that's contact tracing through the Wi-Fi is there any other options that, you know, a university or college can consider outside of that? Yeah. So the, the Wi-Fi is at a minimum going to give us some proximity of anywhere from, let's say, 10 to 20 meters, right? Mm-hmm. Where you've been and, and who you've come into contact with. And that can get a little bit more granular based on how dense your APs are. You know, if you're a, in a campus where you've got an AP every classroom, our telemetry data is going to be much more rich triangulation is going to be more accurate, more granular. If you want to do actual six foot, two meter Mm -hmm. distances between people, then you have to go to a different layer of technology. And that's in enabling Bluetooth technology. Bluetooth is a shorter distance of measurement. Your phone, your tablet will have Bluetooth enabled on it. So in the the infrastructure, some of the manufacturers already include Bluetooth beacons built into the APs. And so that can be triggered by an app on somebody's phone. So if you get an app that is installed on the phone, it's it's going to beacon every once in a while. The Bluetooth beacons and the APs are going to pick up on that. It's a much more granular measurement. Got it. So now we can get down to, to closer proximity between people and see if people are actually doing social distancing. Are they keeping apart? You can get even more granular than that by actually deploying Bluetooth beacons tags on the person. I was watching the news this morning. The Carolina Panthers are opening up their training camp. I think it's the rookies that are showing up, but they were talking about the methods and the protocols that they are enabling to to keep the spread, you know, to a minimum through the team. And one of the interesting things that I that I saw was they actually outlined or showed or highlighted that they are going to use proximity tags on the players. Okay. So I don't know if they're going to enable, you know, betting them in the in the uh, helmets or you know if they're just a small. I, I've seen them. They're like uh, they're about the size of three quarters mm-hmm. stacked. 
so they're not real big, but um, so anyway, so the, the players are actually running these proximity tags. My guess, my assumption is most likely they are Bluetooth enabled, right? And so you're using the Bluetooth layer of the infrastructure to get down to a much closer measurement of distance between the players and the staff and okay. also tracking where they are within the, the facility. So if they're at Bank of America Stadium, you know, they know that they've been in this locker room. They know that they've been in this training room. They know that they've been in this film room, whatever. Same thing goes for a campus. You know, the, these tags can be, you know, put on a person. You can have them on your, your card swipe, you know, lanyard. Could be on a specific device that somebody carries around. But those are going to give you a, a much more accurate idea of, of where they've been and, and specifically how close they've been to another person. Because if you've got two Bluetooth beacons, you know, and they're three meters apart, you're going to know that measurement. Okay. We, we can't get that that detailed of a measurement out of the Wi-Fi layer of the infrastructure. But when you start going down to the Bluetooth beacons, now we can get more granular. Okay. So you've really got two main options then. You've got a Wi-Fi option, which would be more long range. Mm-hmm. And then you have more of a Bluetooth version, which is short range. Mm-hmm. So the Bluetooth versions, you it, it utilizes the Bluetooth beacons and APs. Mm-hmm. There's an application that goes with that and also the Bluetooth tags, which you can utilize as well. Exactly. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we've got some good options for contact tracing. So the whole goal of contact tracing is one, to keep students as well as faculty and staff safe. So everyone on campus really. And we're doing that through technology is really what it comes down to. Mm -hmm. So it's a great option. In some cases, it's very minimal costs that are associated for those of you who already have the right infrastructure in place. It's just important to contact the right vendor or partner that you have to get that set up and implemented. And then there's other situations where, you know, we can get the right infrastructure in place if needed. Well, this is how Secure Edge can help. Right. So we've been working with higher education clients across the United States now for how long? 15 15 plus years. 15 plus years. So we've worked both on the public and private side for schools of all sizes, Mm -hmm. um, as many as 500 students to uh, many thousand. Right. So from a secure edge perspective, we can help with it all. So as far as getting um, a Wi-Fi refresh to support contact tracing, we can do that. We can also help from an engineering perspective and getting things set up correctly, right? Um, is there anything else that we can do? Assessments, looking at the, the actual system that they have now. Is it acceptable? Is it amenable to, to providing this? What pieces are missing? What pieces need to be added? How does it all tie together? So we can do the whole kit and caboodle. Okay, perfect. So all in all, Secure Edge can help with it all. So whether it be the Wi-Fi assessment for contact tracing, um, helping with the network refresh, or helping from an engineering perspective to get everything set up and uh, tested and validated and all that jazz, uh, we can essentially help across the board when it comes to contact tracing in the higher education space. Again, to help ensure the safety, which is most important for, for everyone on campus. For sure. In closing, for anyone that wants to find more information about contact tracing, how it works, who should have it, how to get started, you can go to www.secureedgewifi, that is secure edge with one e.com, and check out our blog post there in regards to higher education and the safe return to school. Thank you so much for your time. We'll see you again soon. That concludes this episode of the Secure Edge Wi-Fi podcast. Thank you for listening today, and we hope to see you again soon. Take care.